We're coming up on 9.30. That means it's time for the Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Welcome to Bible study here at St. Paul's uh, as we continue our study of the book of Acts. Uh, my name is Jeff Cloa. I teach New Testament at Concordia Seminary. Uh, last week, uh, you were blessed to have Dr. Jeff Oswald, uh, who's actually writing a commentary on the book of Acts. So you had actual factual information <laughs> as opposed to what you usually get in his notes. Uh, uh, he's very good, and, and he sent me his notes, uh, a lot of fun things there. So uh, the death of Peter, I guess some of you guys got tripped up on that. That came up, right? What's that? Yeah, the, the death of Peter in the book of Acts, which isn't in Acts. Anyway, it's, it's all good. Uh, today, uh, we will uh, begin with verse 4 and uh, walk through the, the uh, uh, introduction of, well, the way Jesus sets the disciples up. Uh, one announcement before we start. If you are free this afternoon, and it uh, looks like the floodwaters have receded enough to allow travel, uh, the Bach of the Sem concert is at 3 o'clock at Concordia Seminary, uh, celebration of the Easter uh, resurrection. That's at 3 o'clock at Concordia Seminary. <clears throat> and, uh, and I think that's it. So let's open with prayer. And I'll use a prayer for the mission of the church, uh, which is really set up here in these verses for today. So let's bow our heads. Almighty God, you have called your church to witness that in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. Grant that by your Holy Spirit we may proclaim the good news of your salvation, so that all who hear it may receive the gift of salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So, uh, beginning at verse 4 uh, is the beginning, you might say, of the narrative. Uh, verses 1 through 3 are the introduction where Luke lays out the relationship to the first book, uh, what uh, will be happening <clears throat> from here on out. And verse 4 really begins the, the story in Acts. And uh, just like we see in Paul's letters, the, the first paragraph, uh, the, the first few verses really set the tone and set the themes for the rest of the book. And we definitely see that here in uh, especially the first eight verses, or sorry, the first uh, verses four through eight, uh, where this interaction with Jesus and the disciples uh, describes many themes uh, that we will see throughout the book. Uh, you kind of joke in class that uh, if you can figure out the first paragraph of, of a Pauline epistle, you kind of don't need the rest of the book. And, and it's kind of that way with the book of Acts, uh, really. The first uh, verses 4 through 8 pretty much give you the whole book. The rest is kind of the details, okay? So I'll read through verses 4 through 8, and then we'll see uh, how these themes are developed and, and picked up later on in the book. Really huge themes. So verse 4. Uh, and while he, that is Jesus, while he was eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait, <clears throat> excuse me, to, but to wait for that which the Father promised. That which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with Holy Spirit after not many days. 
they then, when they had assembled, questioned him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not yours to know the times and seasons which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. So, a lot packed into these few verses and uh, uh, a few things just to start off with. I want to make sure we don't skip over this first part too quickly. Uh, right in verse 4, while he was eating with them. Now, we've seen this several times. We saw it at the end of Luke, where uh, Jesus eats this uh, piece of broiled fish uh, with his disciples on the, on the day of resurrection. Uh, we talked about that in the context of uh, Jesus demonstrating to his disciples that it was, in fact, a bodily resurrection, uh, that he was not a spirit or a, a, a vision or an imaginary figure, but an actual... Uh, human being, of course resurrected and glorified, but an actual person. So there's the, the image again of Jesus uh, eating uh, with his disciples. What's striking though is that this, this eating uh, again happens here in Acts chapter 1 and will happen in the book of Acts again and again and again and again and again. Okay, So we're going to hear an awful lot, and, and we'll, we'll, you see this very obviously, an awful lot about the disciples going out and preaching. What we often miss is after they go out and preach, and people are baptized and come to faith, what do they do immediately? They have a meal. This happens over and over and over again. Uh, uh, so in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter's uh, Pentecost sermon, they devoted themselves to the uh, apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We'll talk about how those all fit together. Uh, they're eating together in verse 46 in one another's homes. So you've got the, what do they call it, a uh, progressive meal going on or something? It's the modern version of that. Um, in, uh, in chapter 20, you got that famous episode where Paul is at Troas and the He's preaching a sermon all night, and, and uh, uh, so Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window because Paul's sermon is too boring. Well, they, after he raises it from the dead, they go back up and have a meal, right? Because that's what you do. Uh, Acts chapter 27. Uh, interestingly, after the, uh, uh, right before the shipwreck, when they've been two weeks in the boat and they can't eat because of the storm, Paul blesses bread and feeds 276 people, it says, on this boat with this meal, and then they are strengthened and they all make it to the island after the shipwreck. Uh, so you see again and again and again this theme of gathering, the church gathering around these meals. And we'll, we'll look at individual examples as we go through this. Uh, yes, there is a, uh, at least an implication, if not anything explicit, about kind of a Lord's Supper going on. That term doesn't occur in Acts. Uh, perhaps breaking of bread might be what that is referring to. We'll talk about that. But even where that phrase does not occur, the church is constantly gathering together for meals. Right? As a, as a physical, tangible demonstration 
of the unity that they have in Christ, that they've been gathered together by the word, and they hang out together. Right? So as you recall, what's one of the things, uh, one of many things, that Jesus was constantly getting in trouble for in the Gospels? Yeah, he parties too much, right? He's a, he's a drunken, uh, drunkard and a glutton. Uh, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, right? Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, and what does he do? Puts on a banquet, right? That there's this, this constant coming together uh, as the body of Christ. Uh, a little challenging for us, I think, in our context. It's, it's, uh, uh, nowadays, you just kind of, what, get a meal off the Internet, and they drop it off at your door or something, you know, and that's how people eat. Um, uh, we have our fellowship breakfast over here at 9 o'clock, which is, which is pretty cool. You know, at least you get to hang out and talk a little bit. Um, but, but there's this intentional uh, coming together uh, for extended periods, uh, not necessarily in the context of a worship service throughout the book of Acts. That there's a, a fellowship, a life together uh, that extends beyond uh, just what happens on Sunday morning. Again, two examples, Acts 10, uh, Peter goes to Cornelius' house, uh, preaches the gospel, they baptize, well, the Holy Spirit comes first and then they baptize, and then Peter stays for several days, right? He doesn't just come in, you know, drop off the gospel tract and leave, right? He stays for several days and they enjoy this fellowship. The, uh, the Philippian jailer, right? Uh, earthquake comes, you know, Paul and Silas don't leave. Uh, he and his whole household were baptized, and they have a meal, right? So, again, it's, it's just a, a quick little word here, uh, but it sets up a theme that will recur again and again and again of the church uh, coming together. Uh, as I said, we, we have a bit of difficulty in our context, although I know some people have their brunch after church, right? Is that, in fact... Some people probably went to 8 o'clock church and then went to brunch instead of Bible study, right? That's how it works. Um, but uh, uh, this, this gathering together as the people of God is, is a, con a continuous theme in the book of Acts. Now, the word here, but just for the fun of it, yeah. So the word synelizamonos, uh, 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 fancy word, it only occurs here in the New Testament. Uh, it apparently literally means uh, eating salt with someone, eating salt together. Now, you know, sinolizo, sinolizo, sorry. Uh, salt is your basic uh, preservative, and if you don't have salt in the ancient world, you're pretty much not going to eat the meat because you don't have, you know, flash frozen food, you don't have uh, smokers, you don't have uh, beef jerky. Um, so, anyway, it's an interesting word, uh, and it's it's actually a meal. I mean, in other words, verse 4 is not sacramental. There's, there's salt, right? It's a, it's a meal with meat, uh, uh, at least, at least in, the, in its root form. Um, so it is, a, it is an interesting word. Uh, and, uh, there's an alternative. Of course there's an alternative. In the book of Acts, there's always going to be an alternative. Uh, but uh, we won't talk a whole lot about the text of Acts because we'll spend every session talking about that. But... But right, it is a it is a pretty interesting word. Yeah, Paul. Uh, your point may be correct, but it also may just be that Middle Easterners do this. Well, correct. Yeah, that Middle Easterners tend to have meals together, and and by and large, most cultures, 
have meals together. Uh, our Western society has, has uh, individualized really everything, uh, including going through a drive-thru and getting your chicken fingers from, they're building a Cane's Chickens now over there in Maplewood, you know, whatever that is. Uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of interesting thing where you just, you know, grab your food and drive and, yeah. So, so yeah, our culture is not really set up to do this. Uh, but I think, Paul, that there's more than just a cultural phenomenon going on here. Uh, that there's, uh, that there's a, a constant gathering of people uh, uh, in small groups and large groups. And we'll see this throughout the book of Acts, that even, even at the, what we would call congregational level, there's efforts to bring people together from, from different congregations for larger celebrations of this life together in Christ. So yes, it is part of, of, of uh, ancient uh, Middle Eastern culture, modern Middle Eastern culture for that matter too. Uh, but there's also, uh, I think, theological significance to this as uh, life together in the church. Yeah. Now how we do this, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but. Okay, I'm just wondering why, we're talking about the third word in verse four. Uh, Mine says, and while staying with them, doesn't say eating. Oh, well that's, that's an alternative uh, text okay. And alternative translation. Because it wasn't in King yeah. James, it didn't say eating anywhere. So can I assume, and it was not fleshed out either in any of the footnotes, so it's right. important then to add that as a comment. Uh, yeah, I mean, staying with assumes that you're eating, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose They're related right. words. Right, okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, in King James, they, uh, especially words that occur like one time, like this, uh, they, they weren't real clear on what some of them meant. Yes. Okay, that's yep. what I thought, but I wasn't yep. sure because we didn't clarify. Okay, yep. Still on a narrative. Okay. So uh, the, the church gathering, right? Church gathering. Uh, so uh, verse 4 then, he's eating with them, uh, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father promised. Now, again, there's an interesting little... There's a couple of interesting little Greek things here that will only interest Bud and, and Mark. Uh, but um, uh, he does shift from, uh, you know, uh, indirect discourse to direct discourse kind of awkwardly. So you probably have a dash there in verse 4, right? Not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father promised. Uh, and then, that which he said, you heard from me. So all of a sudden now he's, Jesus is directly speaking. So you have Luke reporting Jesus talking in the first part of verse 4, commanding them not to leave Jerusalem, and then he speaks, so you put quotation marks around it. Okay, just a little interesting note. Anyway, that which uh, you heard from me, uh, uh, verse 5, uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with Holy Spirit uh, after not many days. There's an extra pronoun in there, bud, too. Um, you might translate after not many days from this day is maybe a way to take that, but, but sorry for the digression. All right. Now, uh, wait for that which the Father promised. Okay. Uh, Luke 24, 49. Again, here Luke is bridging from Luke into Acts here. Uh, Luke 24, 49, after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, I am sending to you what my Father had, has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So it's essentially a, uh, a repeat 
of what he said in Luke chapter 24. What I don't want to skip over too quickly is uh, that which the Father promised. Right? That which the Father promised. It shows up both here in Luke 24 and in, in chapter 1. In other words, the coming of the Holy Spirit is not merely a promise of Jesus. I say merely. It's not only a promise of Jesus. It's also a promise from the Father. Now, a little unusual, right? When did the Father promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out? It's not a trick question. I'm just assuming that you have the Old Testament memorized. Joel. Right, yeah. Joel, right? So, well, it's on the screen, right? So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Good job, bud. Way to, way to, way to do that. I got I to gotta hide, you know, hide the text, right? Uh, oh, I didn't, did I grab a Bible? You stole my Bible. Thanks a lot, Paul. Okay, well, that's okay, then. That's okay. I'll have to bring my own Bible now. All right. So, Joel chapter 2. And, and I want to uh, turn to Joel chapter 2, and I want to keep our finger there because it will come up again. So, if you have these uh, NIV Red Bibles, they're on page 902. And this will be familiar because uh, you will hear this again on on the reading for Pentecost Sunday. Uh, I think. We kind of skip around a little bit in Acts 2. But... So here's, uh, here's Joel, uh, whose date is a little bit uncertain, but generally uh, connected with, uh, you know, about 600 B.C. Uh, Judah, about the time of Isaiah, about that ballpark. Uh, but here's, here's the promise. Afterward, that is after things are restored, and we'll come back to that, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This passage should be familiar. The sun will be turned to darkness, blood, right? Before the coming of the great and dreadful, terrible, mighty day of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right, that everyone is key. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So where did the Father promise that he would pour out his spirit? It was 600 years before through the prophet Joel, right? Uh, uh, twice, again, Jesus references this promise of the Father, or that which the Father promised, uh, that Jesus is bringing to completion this day of the Lord, and now the Holy Spirit will be poured out, right? So again, it's, it's not just, you know, Jesus shows up, and, and now everything is all brand new and unexpected and all. No, this is all spoken of beforehand. Right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the book of Acts is simply uh, the, the apostles and, well, and Jesus unfolding the Old Testament and showing how it is being fulfilled now, those very days. Right? So I mean, just think about this for a second, and I'm going to tell you to think about it, because this is the text I preached on last week in Rockford, so, so that's why I'm talking about it. But uh, 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 this day, this Pentecost day, 
right, was, was foretold 600 years earlier. I mean, right, you get this? So God, the Father, sent a prophet to speak this word of promise that they had to wait 600 years to have happen. And then on one actual specific day, Pentecost Day, 50 days after the resurrection, this is fulfilled, right? And we're going to see this uh, several times in the book of Acts where very specific things happen and are uh, uh, described as having been foretold, foretold from the Old Testament. Again, as, as we talk, I talked about a couple weeks ago, Dr. Oshawal talked about last week, this, this odyssey of the Word of God, I think is a phrase he used, right? This uh, unfolding of the Word of God uh, is, is a long-anticipated, long-promised event, and, and now it's happening. All right. um, it's also interesting that Luke, or sorry, Jesus doesn't actually uh, promise this in, in the book of Luke. He says, you know, the, the Father will promise it. Uh, in, uh, in Luke, it's John the Baptist, of course, who says that uh, Jesus will baptize uh, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, but it's, again, in anticipation of this fulfillment, which occurs uh, finally on Pentecost Sunday, and then sort of doesn't stop being fulfilled, right? It, it starts on Pentecost, and then it's fulfilled every day in the preaching of the Word through the church. So it's still continuing uh, to unfold, right? Um, uh, pour out my spirit on all people. Right, everybody, young, old, servants, men, women, everybody, uh, uh, all whom the Lord calls at the end of Joel chapter 2. Any comments on that or thoughts? When we get to the sermon in Acts chapter 2, there's actually three specific passages that Peter quotes as, as fulfillment uh, on that day. So it's a pretty big deal, right? Uh, pretty big deal that, that uh, the Spirit finally comes. God keeps his promises. All right. By the way, that word promise is, uh, that's a big word for Lutherans. We'll talk more about that later on. Right? It's, uh, when God says something, we can count on it happening. Right? When he calls us uh, saints, right? which doesn't always kind of look that way, right? we can trust his promise. When, we, when he says we have forgiveness of sins, we trust the promise, right? Well, yeah. When you're referring to Peter's speaking Joel, mm -hmm. you know, again, we have to remind ourselves of what you were pointing out two weeks ago. He probably wasn't reading this. We have a big oral history. When uh, you knew scripture, you knew scripture. Yeah. And you yeah. knew it verbatim. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is that, that also, knowing it was 600 years, mm -hmm. for these people, and I, I don't know Peter's personal history before he was involved with Jesus, but how how much of a scholar was he, and how much could he learn? How much scripture Good question. Was he to memorize? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're reading the the uh, Torah every every Sabbath, right? Uh, it's a good question. Of course, you know the Holy Spirit showing up tends to jog people's memory, you know. So, so that kind of helps, right? Right. Uh, Doesn't always work for preachers, trust me, as you well know. But uh, uh, but for apostles on the day of Pentecost, it works. Yeah. But it, you know, it's, it's a good. That's a good point, uh, that uh, there are, again, sort of key texts that recur again and again and again, uh, and, and it's a basis for preaching. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, so keep your finger in Joel chapter 2, because we're going to come back to that, 
because uh, uh, it'll save the disciples here in a few minutes. Uh, but I want to get to this question then. Uh, in verse 6. So John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit after not many days, not many days after this, however you want to put that. Uh, then in verse 6, uh, and again, uh, Bud, you're going to see a, a typical Lucan construction, hoi menun. See that at the beginning? Uh, you're going to see this again and again and again in Luke. Uh, uh, it's something like they then, or, you know, kind of just moves the, the story along, but they then, when they had assembled, questioned him, saying, so, you know, uh, what's going to happen next, right? It's not a questioning in a sense of interrogation, but, it's, you know, it's time to, time to finish this off, Jesus, right? Um, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Um, now, it's an interesting question on a number of levels, right? I mean, there's, there's several things we've got to pick up. You've got uh, restoring this time, kingdom, Israel, all kinds of key words here. What's interesting is that two verses earlier, three verses earlier, right, Luke tells us that through 40 days... Uh, he was appearing to them and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. So, you know, they've been getting this great Bible study for 40 days, and, and now they're kind of at the final exam point, right? And, and so, you know, now is it at this time? And, and the question is, is this a good question or a bad question? Right? Is this a, is this a question asked in sort of ignorance, like you guys are buffoons, you know, like we had in the Gospels? Or is this actually a, a pretty good question, right? That we've seen all this stuff, and everything seems to be pointing toward this thing that the Father promised, which is the restoration of Israel. Is this now finally going to happen? So, so maybe we should take a show of hands. Who thinks this is a good, who thinks this is a dumb question? Let's start with that. Who thinks this is a dumb question? Bud wants it to be a dumb question. All right, who thinks this is a good question? All right, and the rest of you guys are just uh, trying to hold on. All right, so, well, uh, 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 let's go with good question, and, and here's why, right? So take a look back at Joel chapter 2. And again, let's assume that the, the disciples know their Old Testaments. Because that section in, in, uh, in Joel chapter 2 about pouring out his spirit on all people comes after, after the promise that God will restore Jerusalem, right? And I, I won't read through the whole thing, but, but go back to Joel chapter 2, um, well, actually the entire chapter, which we don't have time to read, but you can, you can read it later on. Um, so look at verse uh, 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room, the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch of the Lord. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So there's this uh, return to me. You know, says the Lord. And now they're returning. All the people in Zion are gathering together and, and, and praying 
that God would spare his people. And then the answer comes in verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. That's a pretty specific place and people, right? His land is, you know, that it's like the size of New Jersey, sitting there on the, on the uh, eastern coast of the Mediterranean. His land, his people, right, they're living there. They've got the temple, right? They, they, they were the, the ones that he had chosen. And uh, I'm sending you grain, verse 19, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Uh, uh, keep going on. Uh, verse 23, be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. Uh, he sends you abundant showers, both, well, maybe not so much for us these days, but anyway, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Uh, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, right? Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And then, right, you get the verse that Peter quotes, right? Afterward, I will pour out my spirit. So, so you see the, the disciples, right, they're, they're thinking, right? We know our Bible, and the Father promised the Holy Spirit, and what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, Israel is restored, right? So cool, right? Uh, uh, all the promises are happening, right? They've been learning for 40 days about this kingdom. Uh, in Luke 24, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right, how it all points to him. And, and now it seems like, actually, I think a fairly good question, right? Promises, right? You made promises. Now is the time, is now the time that we will see these promises fulfilled, right? Now, what kind of promises were they looking for? And this is, this is maybe the million-dollar question. Uh, because, as you see in Joel, the promises there tend to be around things like good harvests, uh, plenty of food, uh, not being ashamed, you know, no more will they be a scorn among the nations. It's sort of a uh, things will be pretty good for us uh, kind of a promise, right? Um, uh, is that a false hope for the people of God? No, right? This is all over the place. God promises to care for his people. In the catechism, he daily and richly supplies me with all that I need to support this body and life, right? On the last day, right, we'll have this banquet, the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? It's not a false hope, right, that God will provide for his people and provide for his people with abundance, right? So, you know, it's easy to kind of say they're being prosperity gospel or something like this, or, or uh, uh, but... You know, this is what God said he would do, okay? You also have, uh, earlier in Luke, chapter 19, uh, uh, in the entrance into Jerusalem. And in Luke, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's a little different from Mark. But, uh, you know, the, the proclamations from the people, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And that's pretty powerful stuff. The king 
who comes into Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. And Jesus doesn't say, wait a minute here, you know, you guys got this all wrong. He doesn't, doesn't say that, right? Uh, another proclamation, peace in heaven, glory in the highest, which is an echo from the angels in, in Luke chapter 2, right? And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So in some sense, these proclamations are actually true, right? The king is coming into Jerusalem. And it is, it is a fulfillment of all that God had said would happen. Now, again, the, the hard part is uh, what does restore mean, right? What does kingdom mean? And what does Israel mean, right? Those are the kind of the three questions. So let's do a little little background. I know we've we've touched on this a bit over the last uh, couple of years. Dr. Veltz talked about it over the last uh, 27 years, whatever it was. Um, but let's let's just do a little bit of background on this whole kingdom promise thing. All right. And I want to start with uh, 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 Genesis 12 because that's where uh, after uh, Tower of Babel, right? After Noah, after Adam, after all that stuff. Uh, that's when you start to get God picking people out to be the heirs of his promises, right? So the call of Abram in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It's that land thing again, right? I will make of you a great nation, right? I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families, nations, races, however you want to translate that, of the earth shall be blessed. Right. So, so that's where God starts to single people out as heirs of his promises, right? All whom the Lord our God will call kind of theme. So notice a couple themes crop up here. We'll see throughout the Old Testament and on into the New. First, there's, there's divine initiative. So what is Abram doing when God speaks to him and calls him? Well, yeah, okay, he's an idol worshiper. Uh, 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 certainly, because uh, what else would he know, right? Uh, and it starts in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Abraham was sitting in his house, you know, having a cup of coffee. There's no, he's just, the Lord said, is the first thing out of the box, right? Abraham is some random guy in the middle of nowhere who's doing who knows what, uh, but it's certainly not worshiping God. And, and God calls him, All right? Why? You know, we're not told it. So it doesn't matter, except that it's all whom the Lord our God will call, right? It's purely a gift that God calls Abram. So divine initiative. Uh, second theme that we'll see throughout the Old Testament on into the New is that it's a, it's a group activity, that the salvation is always as a people. It's not, uh, yes, individual people are brought into this, but it's always a group activity, right? Just like we had with... Uh, uh, we'll see throughout the book of Acts, when people are saved, they're gathered together, right? What's happening in the Old Testament? Salvation is always as a people. 
Uh, third thing, God's faithfulness. So my favorite words, uh, I have several favorite words, but I will. Future tense. God says, I will. I will, I will, I will. Those are called promises, right? So God commits himself to do certain things. And notice, what is, what is Abraham's end of the deal at this point? What does Abraham have to do? Well, essentially nothing, right? Now, God tells him to get up and go, right? But he has already promised that he will do it. And Abraham sort of has, you know, no option, you might say at that point, because God's going to make it happen, right? I will, I will, I will, I will, all right? And why would he not go if this is what you're promised, right? And last, this responsibility to the world. Uh, in you, all the families, nations, races of the earth will be blessed. So there's, yes, the specificity of Abram, but eventually this will go out and extend to all peoples of the earth. Keeping in mind that what happened right before this is the Tower of Babel, when everything got, got blown to bits, right? How's God going to fix this? Well, he's going to start with Abram, and he's going to keep his promises. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough, right? Uh, and, and you could say the same thing about uh, uh, taking up your cross and following Jesus, right? That there's always a cost, right? There's always a cost, uh, but um, uh, the call comes first. Yeah, but right. you might have said, no, I can't leave my family, especially in that culture. Yeah, okay. I mean, I your point. Sure, sure. Uh, um, yeah, practically speaking, he could have declined the call, right? Theologically speaking, he couldn't. It, it would have, it would have, yeah. We we wouldn't have a Bible if he, if he yeah. Okay, so so I think I think God was going to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could always you know, is Abraham the 742nd person that God tried? You know, I, I, we don't know. You know, all we know is God said and and Abraham did it. Right, certainly. And, and, of course, you know the story, right? Go to a place that I will show to you. Like, you know, it could have been Nebraska, right? Well, you know, it actually turned out to be Nebraska. Sorry. I, <laughs> I'm from Chicago. I, I hate to, you know, anyway. Uh, there's a nice little line from Bonhoeffer that comes to mind here. He's talking about, usually we say, speaking as a Lutheran, only the one who believes obeys. Mm -hmm. But he then makes the point, which I think is right, but it's also right to say conversely, only the one who obeys believes. believes yeah. When Abraham left, yeah. it was because he believed yeah. the promise given. Yeah, and this comes up in chapter 15 of Genesis, right? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's, there's a both and there. Good, good. All right, now I'm going to skip over the Old Testament for a minute here. Sorry, I'm not going to go through everything in the Old Testament. But, but see how these themes get picked up in the New Testament. I'm going to go to, to uh, 1 Peter uh, for the fun of it. Familiar passage, right? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right. Beautiful description of the church, but notice these themes again. Right? Divine initiative. You were chosen. Right? You belong to God. Right? Uh, God acts and claims people. Right? Second, it's always a corporate thing. Uh, these are all plurals. People, people, you, people, people. Right? Uh, salvation is as God's people, as, as church, as a group. We're called into this together. Uh, third, God's faithfulness. Uh, now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right? Uh, uh, in spite of uh, the unfaithfulness of, of people. God demonstrated his own faithfulness and acted uh, uh, to, to bring salvation. And this responsibility to the world, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Right? So it, it goes out. Right? So there's, there's this theme of, of God's salvation throughout the Old Testament that is... is uh, Amplified again and again and again. These themes of God calling, uh, of salvation as a people, his faithfulness uh, in spite of human unfaithfulness, which you see again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, uh, as, as uh, they, they, they mess up again and again and again. I mean, as soon as they get the Ten Commandments, within hours, they're, they're messing up, right? And what does God do? He shows mercy. He stays faithful to his promises. And, and then finally, this responsibility to the world. What's the ultimate restoration? And again, so it's, a, it's a good go-to passage, Jeremiah 31, which we use on Reformation Sunday as the Old Testament lesson because it has some nice Lutheran words in it. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but the promise is again, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, uh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with, with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. So you're right, people messed up. They broke the covenant, uh, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make uh, with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my uh, law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, as if we didn't all know the Lord. Uh, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And how will they know me? For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Right? So again, it's, a, it's, it's God's activity. His faithfulness in spite of, in spite of human unfaithfulness. Uh, and uh, it is for all people gathered together. So the Old Covenant, right? What was the problem with the Old Covenant? <laughs> At least in this passage, the problem with the Old Covenant was not that it wasn't a good covenant. The problem was they broke it. <laughs> they, they proved themselves unfaithful, Right? What's new about the New Covenant is 
Well, they're going to keep it, right? I will write it on their hearts. They don't have to remind each other about this stuff, right? They'll keep this one. Uh, why? Because I will put it on their hearts, right? They won't need to teach one another. They will all know me. How will that happen? Because I will forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sins no more, right? Uh, now, he doesn't talk about Holy Spirit here. But what's Peter's promise at uh, Pentecost? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right? We'll talk about him uh, a lot in this book, but Ephesians talks about the Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment, right? Guaranteeing a uh, deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Right? And again, notice this is a, this is a corporate thing. This is, a, this is the whole people, right? Uh, uh, Everybody will know me. It's the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Uh, uh, it's, it's a gathering of people together. Right. So, so again, the disciples' question, to come back to that, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel, is a, is a pretty good question. Right? I mean, it's, everything seems to be fitting into place. Right? All these promises, all these things God has said he's going to do, this... Holy Spirit thing, forgiveness of sins, you know, it's, it's all in Jerusalem for Pete's sake. I mean, it's, it's happening exactly where it should be happening. And, and yeah, you know, let's, let's pull the trigger on this one, right? Right? It's, we're ready to go. Um, now, well, uh, so this kingdom language, okay, not so bad. But, but what's a kingdom now? And we, we've talked a bit about this. Uh, over the years. Anybody want to define kingdom based on, uh, well, this or what we've talked about for a while? The domain of the king, right? Where somebody reigns, right? And here it's the kingdom of God. It's the place where God reigns. How does God reign? What, is, what does his reign entail or encompass? What's that? Okay, spirit will be on the people, right? Right? They will all know me. I will write my law on their hearts, right? He provides for them, cares for them, right? Provides for them. Right? Uh, Holy Spirit will come. My witnesses, we'll talk about that. But what about the Israel part? That's the hard one, isn't it? And is, is, is the word to, is that, uh, you know, that's the part I have told that it's to Israel. Yeah. It? Not in Israel, right? Yeah. Or, or yeah. that includes Israel. Yeah. It's to Israel. Yeah. yeah. Is that a proper translation? Yeah, it's a dative. Yeah, it's an indirect object. Yeah, it will store the kingdom to Israel. There's no other way you can translate that. Yeah. Uh, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> um and Jesus doesn't say, you know, oh, I'm going to restore a kingdom, but it's not Israel. Right? The only thing he corrects is the timing. Right? Uh, you don't, you're not going to get to know the time. Right? But you're going to actually do the kingdom. Right? The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You'll receive power. Uh, uh, the timing is not yours to know. We've seen Jesus do this in the Gospels before. But, but the problem remains, right, what is, what is Israel, right? And, and I know some of our 
our you know Christian brothers and sisters have a, a lot of invested in Israel, you know, kind of the restoration of the nation you know, understood politically. Um, well, what's this Israel thing? Yeah. Well, isn't that really the surprise of Acts as it unfolds? We find out more and more about who Israel really is. It's okay. really God's people. Okay. So Israel is is uh, uh, too small a word for what God is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot in this, and we should probably have Dr. Seifer give us a lecture on this sometime because he's our Romans expert, and and this is the in, entire problem of Romans eight through or nine, nine through eleven, uh, right? Eight through nine through eleven. Yeah. Uh, of what about these people of Israel? What's God going to do about them because they seem to have rejected Jesus? And in fact, Peter says on Pentecost, uh, uh, God made uh, this Jesus both Lord and Christ. He who you crucified. <laughs> I mean, they actually put him to death. Israel did, right? At least it seems so. Um, well, let's let's walk through a little bit here, right? So the father makes promises, and he fulfills those promises in Jesus, right? And and uh, there's a nice phrase. I don't know if Dr. Oshwell mentioned this last week, but but uh, there's a nice phrase that's. Uh, uh, Commentary from I think that was the 70s councilman was that the 70s? He uh, called this commentary on Luke uh, Demitter Zeit, the the center of time. That the coming of Jesus is actually the fulcrum of all of history. There's a sort of before and after, and everything hinges on the coming of Jesus. And that's certainly true uh, biblically, right? You got Adam and Eve, and how did that turn out? Not too good, right? <laughs> You got Abraham, to whom the promise was given, right? And it's the first time you start to see God picking somebody apart from other people, right? This one is the one who's going to inherit the land and have the promises fulfilled. It gets even more specific, right? He's got two sons, and, and one of them gets it, and not the one you would expect, right? The whole Jacob and Esau thing, right? And um, uh, uh, what is Jacob's name turned into? Right. Israel. He has sons, right? Twelve tribes. You know how the whole story goes, right? So it keeps getting narrower. Uh, uh, the kingdom then starts to come into play with one from one of the tribes of Israel, right? David, to whom the promise is made that he will have an everlasting kingdom, right? Second Samuel 7, right? He will reign on the throne forever. And then we get to Jesus, who just happens to be a son of David. Yeah, kind of funny how that works. So you notice how it keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower until you end up with one guy, right? One guy right in the center. So somehow Israel has to relate to, to this guy, right? Somehow Israel is wrapped up in, in him, right? Then, after Jesus, uh, it, it starts to expand, right? First, you got 12 disciples uh, who are here in the book of Acts, who are sent out, commanded to stay in Jerusalem, uh, get all the, the great teaching from the Old Testament. I'm going to do this geographically. Uh, they start out where? Jerusalem, is that big enough for the kingdom? 
No, then they have to go to Judea and Samaria. And finally, they have to go to the ends of the earth. Right? So the book of Acts actually kind of unwinds or, or, or shows the, the, the narrowing in Jesus and then the broadening back out as they testify about Jesus and his resurrection. So the Old Testament, in a sense, is a story of, of becoming more and more specific and centered in the person of Jesus. The book of Acts is a story of the kingdom becoming more and more general, starting from Jesus out to all peoples, out to all nations, right? So the problem of Adam and Eve, right, is solved in Christ and made uh, uh, known to all the nations through the church as the Holy Spirit comes and testifies to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's a quick, easy summary. We still have this problem of, of what about those who are in Israel who reject and, and those kind of questions. Uh, maybe we'll have Dr. Seifer give a lecture at some point on this. Uh, but the, the uh, reference to Israel as kingdom is true. It's just bigger than what they were expecting. Uh, as we typically see in the promises that God makes both in the Old Testament and the New. He makes a promise and then the fulfillment is even bigger than the promise or the, the, uh, what he promised, right? There's, there's a greater fulfillment uh, than what they had anticipated from the beginning. Right. Uh, so Acts 2 again, and I'll kind of draw this down. Peter's sermon in Acts 2. God raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of the fact, right? Exactly what Jesus said in verse 8. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And what's the proper response, right? Brothers, what must we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, right? That guy that's the hinge of everything for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is the promise for? You and your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. So you see that call theme again, right? He calls, and it's for all whom he call, calls, and it's for everybody. Uh, what's, what's really strikes me about this sermon is it, it's easy to just kind of pull this out and make a theological point, but remember he is preaching this in Jerusalem 50 days, well, let's see, 52 days after they crucified Jesus, right? Some of these people might have walked by the cross and seen, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Maybe they mocked him, right? To those people, right, <laughs> you know, Peter says, you killed Jesus, and God raised him from the dead, right? And, and what does he say then? What should we do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. These are actually very specific people who saw, or at the very least, heard about these events just 52 days earlier, right? You, people who put Jesus to death, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? The promise is for... You, right? I mean, isn't that remarkable? Uh, I mean, if these people can be forgiven, right, 
Is there anybody who can't be forgiven? And that's the point. It's for you, your children, and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. So, yeah, Mark. And they said his blood be upon us and our children. Well, that's in Matthew, so we can't use that. But, but uh, yeah. And there, and there it's ironic. So it's actually true. If, you know, but, but uh, no, that's absolutely right. Uh, that's the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the amazing mercy of God that uh, uh, his mercy extends to all, even them, and indeed even to us, right? Uh, so, uh, again, for the disciples, and i got to wrap up here, for the disciples, they're asking a great question, right? Uh, we've, we've had the 40-day Bible study. Uh, we got the, our minds open to understand the scriptures. This kingdom stuff is awesome. We finally got this figured out. So, so let's go do it, right? And Jesus says, well... Uh, yes, but uh, you've got some work to do, right? You will be my witnesses because this kingdom is not yet done. There are more people who need to be brought into this kingdom, and you're going to go speak what you have seen, all right? You'll be witnesses of my resurrection over and over and over until this kingdom encompasses all whom the Lord our God will call. So I'll wrap up with this. Two great quotes from a, a German commentary, um, uh, Ernst Henken. Oh, should I got to give this map? Ah, shoot, we'll do it next week. All right, so the quotes. The Christian church that's described in the book of Acts is a mission church. It's just what it is. It is constantly sent, right? You will be my witnesses, and it expands out. And... I love this line, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth, is not simply a table of contents. That is how the book of Acts unfolds. Starts in Jerusalem, goes to Judea, Samaria, goes to the ends of the earth. He says it's not just a table of contents, but it's a promise. Right? You will be my witnesses. Right? You will be the ones to announce this kingdom that is here and yet still coming. And that's what we're still in today. So we'll talk more about that next week. Thanks. See you next week. This has been the Sunday morning Bible study from St. Paul Lutheran Church in South County.